Thank you guys so much for being here this morning. You notice Pastor Al's gone. We mentioned earlier, I mentioned earlier, he's in Africa. <clears throat> he called me this morning. He sent me a short video. He wanted to say hello. So Grace, if you have that, could you hit play? Good morning, Shalliford. Just want to tell you hello from Africa. Let you know that I'm over here praying for you. And as you worship this morning, I'm looking at my clock, trying to do the math on the different time zones. I know Johnny will lead you well. And I'm praying for you as you worship and gather at the Lord's table. Have a great morning. Good morning, Shalliford. Oh, Al, on loop. That's what we need. That's what we need. Uh, so yeah, so he, he's going to be traveling back today, tomorrow, and then he'll be back with us next Sunday, and he'll be preaching next Sunday. So pray for him as he travels. Pray for just the time change and getting back adjusted when he gets back here. So uh, yeah, so we'll pray for Al. And so I, we're going to be this morning in Matthew chapter 6. We're walking through the Lord's Prayer. Uh, or the disciples' prayer, depending on how you view it. The disciples asked Jesus in the book of Luke, Lord, teach us how to pray. And so he walks through what we call the Lord's Prayer. And this, this prayer we've said is, is a pattern for how we ought to be praying. So I, I want to make sure everybody got a handout. Uh, you can tell Al, two weeks in a row I did handouts now, so just make sure he knows I did handouts. Didn't do PowerPoints yet, but we did, we did it. So if you don't have one, I think we got some more in the back, but, uh, but I just, I would love everyone to be able to have one of these. Uh, our prayers that in our preaching, we would not just, uh, open up the fire hydrant of information on you and hope you remember it, but our prayers that in preaching would give you a vision for who God is. We would show you how that changes your life and we would equip you to think about God's word for yourself. We'll give you a vision for God, give you a vision for how to live, and we'd equip you to handle God's word for yourself. So that's why we do things like handouts. That's why Al does things like PowerPoints. We want to put things in your hand that you can walk away with, that can teach you about God's word. So this morning, if you have a handout, you see where we're going to be, Matthew chapter 6, verse 11, and the verse is really short. Give us this day our daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. Father, we pray as we open your word that you would speak to us, and as you speak, that we would know it's you. Help us to respond in faith. In Jesus' name, amen. The first blanks are, are where I want to I start this morning, that the Lord's Prayer is a pattern. The Lord's Prayer is a pattern. This isn't just meant for us to repeat word for word and hope it just covers everything, and there's some mystical power when we utter these words in this order that just counts for all sorts of prayer. But, but Jesus is giving us a pattern for prayer, showing us these are the categories you ought to be praying in. So the Lord's Prayer is a pattern that gives us the right perspective to pray, and it gives us the right posture to pray. Those are those first three blanks. The Lord's Prayer is a pattern that gives us the right perspective to pray and the right posture to pray. So if I were to guess, and I'm going to guess based off my own experience, as to how we all prayed, or maybe if we tried to look back in your memory of when was the first time you think you prayed, I would guess most of us came into contact with prayer through something like verse 11. And I don't mean asking for food. But I mean it's because we had some sort of need, some sort of request, some sort of plea for help. And isn't that how most people in this world who would claim 99.9% .9 of their waking hours that they do not believe in a God, but that 0.1% that they need something, seems like a lot of us believe in prayer. But Jesus in Verse 11 of chapter 6 of the book of Matthew is teaching us how to make requests to God. So he doesn't tell us, hey, no, you shouldn't ask for things. 
Don't, don't bother God with that. Just, just praise him and adore him and pray for his kingdom to come. Pray for spiritual things, but needs and requests, don't bother him with it. That's not what Jesus says at all. Jesus is actually telling us, you ought to make requests of God. You ought to pray for the things you need, but there's a certain way you should do it. We try to teach our kids to pray. Some days better than others. Uh, but we're trying to teach them how to pray. And so what we've learned when Jonathan was little and could first try to talk, we've tried to get him to repeat words. And we've tried it with CC. We've tried it with Corinthian. Sometimes they get it. I would say none of them have this memorized. But what we try to instill in them is, Jesus, Jesus, I love you. Thank you. Please help. That's it. I love you. Thank you. Please help. I think that's like a toddler version of the Lord's Prayer. I think. Don't quote me on that. Don't get to heaven and say, hey, you know, Johnny added some more to scripture. That's not what I'm saying. But I think all the things we're going to pray for the rest of our lives, I think fall into there somewhere. I love you. Thank you. Please help. But that, that please help. We actually need help knowing how to ask for help. We need help knowing how to bring our needs to God. And what I want to show us this morning is that verse 11 Give us this day our daily bread is not in this location by accident. Jesus wasn't just rattling off an unconnected list of prayers. Like, hey, here's a sentence, and oh, yeah, you should pray this, and uh, what else should we pray? Oh, yeah, pray, give us our daily bread, and then we'll pray for this, and then pray for, King, you know. That's not what Jesus was doing when he was doing the Lord's Prayer. But what he's showing by putting this after everything else. He says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Remember, this is a pattern that gives us the right perspective to pray. That we don't have the right perspective on our needs until we first have the right perspective on God. We don't have the right perspective on our needs until we first have the right perspective on who God is. So the first point is be confident in God. Be confident in who God is. The first three lines of this prayer set up the prayer of request that we come to in verse 11. Jesus is saying, unless you recognize that God is your father and you relate to him through prayer as father, unless you recognize that God is holy and your prayer is hallowed be your name, unless you recognize that God is king over everything and you yearn and long and desire for his kingdom to come and his will to be done, unless you understand those things about God, then you're not gonna have the right perspective on how to pray for your needs and requests. So Jesus is saying, first, before you get to praying for all that you need and all you think you want, first stop and go back to the top. Because unless you're confident in God, your prayers for your needs and requests will be all out of whack. So we want to be confident in God. We want to see that he is Father. You see that at the very top of the prayer, our Father in heaven. Be confident in God as your Father. I was reminded this week, we talked with the worship team right before we prayed together. We said, we just asked each other, how's Jesus been real to you lately? It was so encouraging to hear from them what God's doing in their life. And they said, what about you? I said, well, He's been teaching me that there's no prayer too small for him. We love to think there's no prayer too big, right? He can do abundantly above anything we ever ask or think. Don't pray small prayers. Pray big prayers. I think Matthew 6, 11, and the idea of God as Father is reminding us there's no prayer too small for him either. 
that God is ready and willing to hear your prayers. You gotta be confident in God and remember that he's your father. He's excited to hear from you. He's excited to hear what's going on in your life. He is willing to hear your prayers, but he's not just willing. He's able to meet your needs. He's able to do something about what he's willing to do. It would be sad if we had a God who was willing but had no power to do anything about it. And it'd be sad if we had a God who was all-powerful but didn't desire to do anything with his power to meet our needs. But we have a God who's perfectly willing because he is our father and he is holy. That's the second point. He is father, he is holy, and he is king. So we can be confident in who God is because he's willing to hear our prayers and he's powerful enough to do something about it. But if we don't first get confident in who God is, then we're not going to be able to pray for what we really need. We've got to get confident that he wants to hear your prayers. There's no prayer that's too small. Look with me at Matthew 7, later on in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 7, verses 7 through 11 say this. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you'll find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? We can be confident that our Father in heaven stands ready to give good things to those who ask him. But if you skip over the first three lines of the Lord's Prayer and jump straight to, please help, you're going to be praying to a God in your own image rather than to be praying to the God of the Bible, our Father Almighty, who is holy and glorious and who is king over everything. So when we come to make our prayer to God for what we need, be confident in who God is. The second thing we're going to see is that we need to be humble. We need to be humble. As we come and we pray to God for what we need, we ought to be humble. So this is, like we've said, a pattern for prayer. So Jesus does not literally mean only pray for literal bread. But Jesus is using this as a pattern to say bread is something you need multiple times a day to sustain yourself. It's kind of like you need to eat, you need to drink. So he's saying, hey, not just literally bread, but all of your needs. He's teaching the disciples to pray for their needs. So when he says daily bread, he's talking about all of our needs. So if we're going to be confident in who God is, and we also ought to be humble and admit that we are needy. For some of us, that might be the most difficult confession you can make this morning you're needy and that's okay we are needy and we are not self-sufficient those are those first two blanks under be humble we are needy and we are not self-sufficient god did not design you to be self-sufficient he did not design you to have everything that you needed within yourself you have needs, and that's okay. We have real needs every single day. 
And God is interested in teaching us to depend on him in our neediness. He's not interested in teaching us to be self-sufficient and independent of him. And goodness, why don't you grow up already and take care of this stuff? You're like such a little kid. When are you going to grow up? When are you going to take care of yourself? When are you going to start contributing to the grocery bill for this daily bread you keep asking for? That's not what God says. God delights in us remaining to be like little kids because he knows that we're needy. We need to bring the good news of the gospel to bear on our prayer life. We want to celebrate the gospel and sing of Jesus and sing of his grace, but then something happens in prayer and we think we've got to have some sort of works in front of God to come and pray to him. We don't think we can really come as our true, messy, I'll use Lynn's word to me this morning, uncurated selves into God's presence. But all of a sudden, if we sing about grace, we rejoice in the gospel, rejoice in who Jesus is, and something about when we pray, we feel like we've got to come and say a certain kind of language and be a certain kind of person in the presence of God, but we fail to remember Jesus' invitation in Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 to 30. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. There actually is a qualification to come and pray, but it's not the one you think. The only qualification to come and pray is that you are weary. It's that you're weary. Are you weary enough to come pray? If you're not weary, uh, hold off. If you, if you think you're self-sufficient, pr- prayer may not be for you. If you think you're not needy, I don't think praying to this Jesus is what you need. But are you weary? Are you burdened? Are you heavy laden? Are you stuck in your sin and flesh? Do you recognize daily how insufficient and needy you really are? Come on. Because if we're going to pray to God for everything that we need, then we've got to be humble because we are needy and we are not self-sufficient. A couple things happen to us when we think we are self-sufficient, though. The first one, and and I stated this in our notes like an exhortation, challenging you. Don't do this. Don't work in vain. Work in vain. Don't work in vain. Psalm 127, 1 and 2 was the verses I put with that. Because when we think we're self-sufficient, we tend to work in vain. Read with me Psalm 127. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It's in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. For he gives to his beloved sleep. He gives to his beloved sleep. So, so follow with me what's happening in this psalm. I, I've always been fascinated by this. When it says, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain, he doesn't say, unless the Lord builds the house, it doesn't get built. That's not what he says. He says, unless the Lord builds it, then those who are building it are doing it all in vain. The house is still going to get there. It's going to be completely void of the presence of God, but that house is going to get built. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. You you can set up watchmen all night to protect a city. But if it's the Lord's will to destroy it, watchmen's awake in vain. Or or all your watchmen can go to sleep. But if it's the Lord's will to protect the city, it's going to be protected. Right? He, He says... You rise up early, you go late to rest. In other words, you're working all day long. You're working really, really hard. But listen how he describes it. You're eating the bread of anxious toil. 
So when we think we're self-sufficient, something happens to us externally. We begin to work in vain. I read this week that work without God's blessing is toil, but work with God's blessing is rest. There's actually a way to experience rest while you work, and it's working with God's blessing and God's peace on your life. But when you think you're self-sufficient, you're going to begin to work in vain. That's what Psalm 127 is warning us of. And it actually leads, if that's the external challenge, the internal challenge is don't worry. Don't worry. I wrote some scriptures on your handout for you, Matthew 6, 25 to 34, which we're going to read in just a second, Philippians 4, 6 to 7. Don't worry. Let's read Matthew 6, 25 to 34. It's a little bit longer of a passage. It's later in the Sermon on the Mount, but it applies directly to what we're talking about this morning, praying that God would meet our needs. If we don't admit we're needy, we think we're self-sufficient. If we think we're self-sufficient, we're going to worry. We're going to constantly worry, have I done enough? Am I doing enough? Did I get that right? Will I get that right tomorrow? We'll be constantly stuck in the past and the future. We're going to constantly be worried if we've taken care of ourselves well enough because there's something in us that knows, even if we think we're self-sufficient, there's something in us that constantly goes, I don't know if I've done it all. I don't know if I've provided for myself well enough. So listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 6, 25 to 34. Therefore, I tell you, don't be anxious about your life, what you'll eat or what you'll drink, nor about your body, what you'll put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles, the people of the world, seek after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. I think in these verses, Jesus is reinforcing what he's trying to tell us in the Lord's Prayer, that unless you seek first God himself as your father, unless you seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and his glory, then you're going to be in a life of worry and anxiety. Unless you seek first those things, I think some of, the, some of the ways we go off the rails on this is that like we think if you don't seek God, you're not going to have any of your needs met. That's actually not the biggest danger. The biggest danger is you don't seek God and you meet all your needs on your own. I mean, look around. Do you see what zip code we're in? 30062? A good one, a great one. People move here for schools and for neighborhoods and for safety. And I joke all the time. People say, oh, you work at a church in East Cobb. Where do you live? I said, look, I moved as close as I could. <laughs> and we live like 15 minutes down the road. I moved as close as I could. This is an incredible community. People would love to live here. The houses are great. The schools are great. 
it's comfortable and wonderful, but lurking beneath the surface of wealth, not just in our community, but across the world, is the idea that self-sufficiency can mask much deeper problems. So the biggest danger for us is that we wouldn't seek God, we wouldn't seek his kingdom, and our life would continue to be okay. But actually, God in his grace might lead us to lose everything just so we can see that he's all we needed in the first place. And so the challenge, if we're going to bring to God our needs, we must be humble because we are needy, we are not self-sufficient. So don't work in vain and don't worry. Don't eat the bread of anxious toil. Don't think you in your self-sufficiency, in your strength, with your high-paying job, your wonderful house, all gifts from God. God's not telling you to give those things up. He's telling you to seek him before you seek those things. That's the challenge. Seek God before we seek those things. The other passage is Philippians 4, 6 to 7. Paul's writing to the church of Philippi and he's encouraging them saying, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, with prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God, like your request for daily bread. Let your requests be known to God and the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I mean, that's kind of a different way of saying Matthew 6, 11, right? He's saying, don't be anxious about anything, but when there's things in your life that are causing you anxiety and worry because you feel like your control is leaving you and you're grasping at the power you've always had in your life through your own strength and self-sufficiency, when that's leaving you, don't keep trying to grasp, but open your hands and pray about it. But turn to God in prayer and let him know. And it doesn't say he's going to give you everything you ever want. It says he's going to give you his peace. So before we, notice we've not even gotten to really what all we're praying for. We've just gotten to the posture. We've got to be confident in who God is, satisfied in him. Then we've got to be humble ourselves before him and realize he's everything we need. Realize we're needy. We're not self-sufficient. And then we can come to the last point which is be content. Be content. When God is all we want, we have a different perspective on what we need. When God is all we want, we have a different perspective on what we need. Here's what I read some other people say about this passage this week. That this is a prayer for, this is what one writer said, needs, not greeds. John Calvin, 500 years ago, said that this prayer bridles the uncontrolled desire for fleeting things. Let me catch that up into the year 2020. This prayer pulls us back on our uncontrollable want for everything in this world. And it pulls us back to say, no, 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 no. Don't just come to God and say, God, man, the car, the house, the spout, the dream life I have. No, no, no. He's saying you humble yourself and you say, God, just bread. Just, just give me what I need today. That, that's all I'm really asking for. If we're going to pray for our needs, we've got to learn to be 
content. We would normally be eaten up with desire for the things of this world. But in our pattern of prayer, when we first come to God, we understand that he's all we need. We understand that he's all we need. So if we're going to pray rightly for our needs and our requests, we've got to come to a certain contentment with who God is for us in Christ. Uh, Read with me Proverbs 30. And I put verses 7 to 9, but I'm going to pick up about halfway through verse 8. This is an, uh, I feel like I've got to give this disclaimer sometimes. I remember in high school with my friends when we first started reading the Bible for ourselves, we would literally hang out on Friday nights and read the Bible, and we would look at each other and we'd go, did you know it says that in here? So this is one of those moments where I feel like I need to give the precursor. This is a real verse in the Bible, okay? God believes this. This is true. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that's needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. Do you follow how insane that sounds? I mean, have you ever prayed such a prayer? Hey, God, give me, but not too much. No, never prayed that one. I mean, it's too much even in our vocabulary. But do you see what the, what the Proverbs, the book of wisdom, right? Do you see the wisdom here? He's saying, God, give me what I need. Because I know if you give me too much, it's going to tempt me to not be dependent on you. It's going to make me love the gifts more than the giver. It's going to tempt me to love the creation more than the creator. So actually, I'm going to intentionally pray that you don't give me too much. But, but on the other hand, I still have needs. I, I don't want to be so poor that I've got to go resort to stealing to feed myself and my family and profane your name. I know stealing is wrong. I know these things are wrong that poverty lends itself to. So, so meet my needs. I, I mean, that, that's, you see why I had to start that with like, this is really in the Bible. Because that is so off base from how I normally pray. I normally pray and I normally have desires where there is... Uh, there is no maximum, there's no ceiling, but there's certainly a floor, right? Hey, God, meet, meet this need. And if you want to meet it with that, God bless you. I mean, I'll be, I will receive it with open hands. And if you give me way up there, I might even tithe and give 10% of it. But I'm not going to get ahead of myself, God. But I, I mean, I, I set a floor and then take the roof off of that thing and say, God, there's no maximum. Give me as much as I can. Come on, let's do it. But what the psalmist is saying is that he doesn't just have the minimum and the floor. He actually puts a ceiling on it. And he says, I don't need more than this. Now, I've heard David Platt talk about this. When he, when he said one time, him and his wife said, you know what? We determined what we needed to live and we told God anything we make over and above that we're going to tithe on no matter what we make. But anything we make over this, we're just giving it away. I thought, that's radical. I mean, that's crazy to think like that. But that's exactly what it is. The only way you can do that is if you have a heart of contentment. That's the only way. And you say, well, how in the world do I get a heart of contentment then, Johnny? Because I sure don't feel content, and I'm with you. 
And to do that, we need to go put a verse in context that we quote all the time and have on three coffee mugs at home. Let's go look at Philippians 4, 13. Philippians chapter 4. I'm going to start in verse 11 so we can get the context and see where Paul says this phrase we know. Do you guys know Philippians 4.13? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. If I'll have confession for a minute, uh, I was the high school football player that would write that on my tape. So I've taken this out of context. I've done that. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I'm there. Now let's go see where Paul said that. Again, Paul's writing to the Philippian church. He says, not that I'm speaking of being in need. If I've learned in whatever situation, I'm to be content. I know how to be brought low. And I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. That verse is a verse about contentment. It's not a verse about achieving your dreams. That's a verse about knowing how to either be poor or rich and not putting your identity in either one. Philippians 4.13 is a challenge for us to have Christ at so much the center of our life, so much as the foundation of our identity, that if we're rich, we still know how to be content. And if we're poor, we still know how to be content. That's what Philippians 4.13 is about. It's not saying, hey, slap the Jesus sticker on whatever dream you're pursuing right now with this verse. Hey, drive the car of your dreams into whatever future you want to write for yourself. Just put the bumper sticker right there, Philippians 4.13. And I'm doing it in Christ who gives me strength. Amen. That's not Philippians 4.13 at all. Paul is saying, and he's talking in the context of, basically, thank you for meeting my financial need. You guys supported me when I needed it. And then he kind of backs and goes, well, I didn't really need it because I mean, I've just learned the secret. I've learned the secret to being content. If you didn't meet, he's basically saying, if you didn't meet my need, I would have been okay. Because I've got Jesus. Because I've got Jesus, I would have been okay. So before we make any request to God for our daily bread, before we start praying for all we want, all we want, we first have to remember that God is all we need. And do you see the pattern for bringing our requests to God? Be confident in God, be humble, and be content. Before we come to God with our requests, we've got to take a step back and ask, did I first come, remember I'm praying to my Father? Did I come in the name of Jesus knowing that he's the only way I can approach God's presence? Did I come as a child fully loved? Did I come as a child of God? Did I come to not just the Father, but as the Apostles' Creed says, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, the one who's always existed on his own will and power, dependent on nothing, needing nothing, and out of his own creativity spoke the world into being. Have I worshipped him? And as I see him as my father, as I see him as the holy and glorious one, have I longed for his rule and reign, his redemptive reign in Christ to come in the concentric circles of my life? 
And only then, as we pray those three things, should we come to God with our need and say, so now, give me this day. Not that day, not tomorrow, not in six months, but this day. Give me this day my daily bread. And as only God could have it, the day we're preaching, give us this day our daily bread, uh, we're taking the Lord's table this morning. And we're reminded of the spiritual bread of life that God's given us in the person of Jesus. And so as we're praying for our physical needs, this is a very physical prayer, this verse 11. It's an acknowledgement that we really are physical human beings with physical needs. We're reminded of the physical suffering that Jesus went through for us. And we're offered the bread of life at the expense of Christ so that when you eat of this bread, you'll never hunger again. When you eat the bread of Christ, you realize that he has was crucified for you, for your sin. Your sin put him there. My sin put him on that cross. He was bearing the full weight of the wrath of God for us. And so when we pray, give us this day our daily bread, I pray that we'd be satisfied in the bread of Jesus as we partake of the Lord's table. Because this is a celebration and a proclamation for anyone who knows Christ to preach your own sermon this morning and proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Proclaim that Jesus' death has saved you and his resurrection has purchased you new life. And so if you don't know Jesus, then the invitation this morning for you is not to come take the Lord's table. The invitation, if you don't know Jesus, is to come know Jesus. Let's deal with that first. And then if you come to know Jesus this morning, I would be ecstatic to walk you to this table and let you for the very first time take the Lord's Supper in true faith. But if you don't know Jesus, don't take this this morning because this is for those of us who are in the family of faith to celebrate how God has met our ultimate need in Christ. Let's pray. Father in heaven, you know us better than we could ever know ourselves. You, you knew in eternity past what our need would be. And so in the community you have within the Trinity, you developed the plan of redemption. And the Son, in eternity past, willingly submitted to the plan that he would one day become a man, live and die an ugly, brutal death on a cross so that he could pay the eternal price for sin on behalf of humanity. And Jesus, when you did that, and you died on that cross for us. You knew that three days later, you would rise from the dead, defeating sin, death, and the grave with it. And when you did that, you revealed to us something about God that we didn't know yet. You revealed to us that the same God who created, the same God who judges, the same God who is reigning over everything also loves intimately and deeply and so, God, I pray this morning that if someone has never experienced the true love of God that only comes in Christ, I pray this morning they would experience that in faith. 
And I pray that we would celebrate this Lord's table this morning. That we can come underneath your perfect work, Jesus, because we are needy and we are not self-sufficient. We could not have died for ourselves on the cross. We would have never walked out of that grave. But you did. So this morning, if you've never put your faith in Jesus, I want to invite you to do that. And the best way that I know to put your faith in Jesus is to tell him, Jesus, I'm needy and I'm not self-sufficient. I know my sin put you on the cross, but I know you're my savior that died so that I could have life. If you've never put your faith in Jesus, then that's the invitation for you this morning. But if you know Jesus and you're walking with him, then this table is for you. The Lord invites you to come and eat and to drink. If you're a believer and you're walking in sin this morning, Paul warns us in 1 Corinthians, don't come flippantly to this table, but take some time to repent first. Because it was our sin that put Jesus on the cross. We don't want to treat it flippantly now. We want to take it very seriously because Christ is making us new, eradicating the sin in our heart where one day we'll be with him sinless for all eternity. And so before you uh, come and take this morning, Jay is going to play a little bit of music. And I want to invite you to ask God, Psalm 139, search me and know me. Try me and see if there's any grievous way in my heart and lead me in the way everlasting. Search your own life and see what you need to repent of. But remember that repentance is always coupled with joy because you turn away from sin and turn to Christ. So let's joyfully repent this morning. Let's joyfully celebrate the Lord's table and let's joyfully sing one last song. So Jesus, encourage us as we take the Lord's table together in Jesus' name, amen.